please take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 4. I'm excited to jump back into Philippians as we finished our December Advent series. Um, so we're at the beginning of the new year, jumping back into an old series in Philippians. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to finish Philippians before next January. Yeah, so we're going to get that one started. Uh, maybe we can, but I want to get you back into the context of where we are in Philippians. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison to a church that he founded some 25 years earlier. Um, he is about to send this letter back with Epaphroditus to this church that he holds dear. And in this section of Philippians, I want us to kind of get back into the context of it um, before we jump into where we're going to be today. So look back at chapter 3, verse 20. And so here's where Paul kind of shifts um, into a different section of the letter. And notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, let me find verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So in this section of Philippians, Paul is discussing how we live as Christians between Calvary, 2,000 years ago, and the coming of Jesus, between the resurrection and his return, between his ascension and his second advent. And so today's text, let's look now at verses 2 and 3, and we'll see that now Paul says, as we wait, we have to protect the gospel unity of the church. Look what he says there in verses 2 and 3. He says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So today's focus this morning is going to be how do we protect gospel unity in the body when there is a disagreement between two members. Now there's a story, there's a story of monks at a remote monastery deep in the woods who followed a rigid vow of silence. Their vow could only be broken once a year at Christmas. One by only one monk. That monk could speak only one sentence. One Christmas, Brother Thomas had his turn to speak and said, I love the delightful mashed potatoes we have every year at Christmas. Then he sat down and silence ensued for 365 days. The next Christmas, Brother Michael got his turn and he said, I think the mashed potatoes are lumpy and I truly despise them. Once again, silence ensued for 365 days. Well, the following Christmas, Brother Paul rose and said, I am fed up with this constant bickering. If you've been in, around Christians or around church, you know that differences arise and sometimes, of varying degrees. Some are minor, some are medium, and then some are pretty major. But the Bible tells us that we have to work out our differences. So how do we do that? We have to, how do we guard having a divided church? And by the way, that's an oxymoron, right? A divided church, that is, that is not, those two words should never go together. It's kind of like an air-enriched vacuum. Those things do not go together. 
So what we have to do as believers is we have to strive for unity and work out our differences. And I want to give you three reasons that Paul lists here in these two verses of why Euodia and Syntyche must work out their differences. So here's the first one. The first reason we have to work those things out, our disagreements, whatever they may be, is because we are united in Christ. That's Paul's first reason. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Notice what Paul says there. He's now, let me begin by saying we don't really know much about Euodia and Syntyche. Paul doesn't give us a whole lot of detail here, but as I was studying, I came across one pastor who gave a little bit of an insight. He said this. He said, the name Euodia means sweet fragrance. So you can write that above uh, Euodia's name. And Syntyche means fortunate. That's what their names mean. And then he goes on to say, he says, the, na- uh, the problem in the Philippian church was that they were causing an unfortunate stink. You don't get it, huh? Okay, that's terrible. Y'all are, y'all are terrible. Are you paying attention? One of them's name is sweet-smelling aroma, and one of them's name is fortunate. They're, they're causing an unfortunate. All right, fine. Y'all get no more jokes for the new year. All right. So what Paul tells us, though, he does give us some more detail. He tells us that these women have labored side by side with him for the sake of the gospel. So what we do know about these two women is that they were hardworking. They were gospel-spreading. They were Christ-loving, and they were church-serving women. That's what we can say about them. Women had a prominent role in the early church of getting the gospel to where it needs to go from town to town and caring for the needs of the saints. So here, these women, they're they're described as Christ-loving gospel-spreading, church-serving women. They knew the pressures and the pains of living for Jesus and suffering for the sake of the gospel. They knew what it meant to sacrifice themselves and their possessions for the sake of Jesus and others. But along the road, somewhere along the road of life and ministry, something happened in their relationship. And what we know now is that there's a conflict that needs to be resolved. And So there's no indication from Paul here that this conflict is doctrinal. Paul doesn't say that it has anything to do with doctrine or with the theological differences. Paul usually addresses those in his letters head on. Go read the book of Galatians if you wonder what Paul thinks about doctrinal differences in a church. Paul always addresses those, so we're not sure what exactly this one is. So even though we don't know exactly what the issue is, we can safely assume... It's not a doctrinal or gospel issue. That these, so these ladies agree upon major things like Jesus being the Son of God, salvation by grace through faith, so they would sign the church covenant and, be a, and, and enter into agreement on the church's doctrinal statements. But we, also, but we know also that whatever the conflict or disagreement is, it rises to the level of having to be addressed by the church. That's why Paul puts it in the letter. News of this issue has reached Paul in prison, most likely from Epaphroditus, who will now be taking this letter back to Philippi. And Paul knows that this issue is threatening the unity, health, and gospel witness of the church. And we're not even sure, by the way, if this is a sin issue. It might be something completely not related to one sinning against the other or 
or talking behind the other's back. We don't know. But I will say this. If any issue rises to the level of destroying the unity of the church, then it almost always will find its way back to a sin issue of either pride or arrogance or unbelief or a lack of forgiveness. So at some point down the road, it's going to find its way to being a sin issue. So what Paul does here is that he begs both of these women. He begs them both to agree in the Lord. Notice that he addresses them both individually, and he entreats them both individually. That's what Paul does. Paul says that they must sort this out because they belong to Jesus. They should agree in the Lord because they both belong to the Lord. That's, what's the, that's the foundational issue. Paul is calling to their mind what he's already articulated earlier in Philippians. If you were to flip back to Philippians chapter 2, some scholars believe that Paul is addressing the issue of chapter 4 in chapter 2. And this is what he says back in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same mind, agreeing in the Lord, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then what does Paul do in chapter 2? He describes Jesus, who out of humility took on flesh, came to earth, humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, and dying a cruel death on the cross for the glory of God and the good of others. That Jesus was willing to humble himself for the good of others. And so Paul is saying that these women need to have this same mind in them. Now, as believers, I want to apply this to us today. Now, as believers who have been saved by the grace of Jesus, think about this. You have been saved by the grace of Jesus, the unmerited grace of Jesus, not because of anything you've ever done, not because of anything you didn't do or haven't done or will do in the future. You are saved by the sheer grace of Jesus. You have been filled with the Spirit of Jesus. You have been given the mind of Jesus. It is our responsibility then to work out our differences and find reconciliation and agreement, not in each other, but in Jesus together. If Jesus has saved us both, think about this, if Jesus has saved us both and forgiven us both, then how can, not, how can we not, out of our unity in Christ, find a way to love and forgive one another? Is the gospel not strong enough to reconcile two people together if it has the power to reconcile sinful people to a holy God? I want you to think about that sentence very carefully. Is the gospel not strong enough to reconcile two sinful people together if it has the power to reconcile sinful people to a holy God. This is why this matters. When a person is united to Christ by faith and receives Him as Lord, their sins are forgiven. Amen? And Jesus reconciles them to the Father. That is equally true for every believer. There is no one person in here that is more forgiven than another, that is more reconciled to the Father than another. 
we share an equal and common salvation in the Lord Jesus. So Euodia and Syntyche are both equally forgiven and welcomed by the Father through Jesus. And so now, that is the truth for all of us in this room. So now we have, the same, we have a responsibility to extend that same grace and forgiveness to one another in whatever is causing a disagreement or conflict. When we are dealing with a conflict with another believer in our church, we must realize that Christ died for their sin and Jesus has forgiven them. And so, if you withhold, hear me, this is why this is so important, why the gospel matters day by day. If you withhold forgiveness and grace from another believer who is repentant and has asked for forgiveness, then you are wanting them to pay for a sin for which Christ has already paid. And that becomes an issue of properly understanding Christ's atonement. I can't make somebody pay for a sin that Christ has already died for. If Christ has died for it, I'm not saying there aren't consequences to sin. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean we don't have consequences even in our community um, about regaining trust and learning to walk through a process of reconciliation together. But what I'm saying is I can't make somebody else pay for their sin before God. Jesus has forgiven and I have to extend that same grace and mercy. Now, here's the point. Look here. Paul knows that this conflict will be difficult to work through. He knows it, right? Even for two, who, even for two believers who've labored in the gospel. So what Paul does is he encourages other believers in the body to step in and help mediate between them. Paul does this, not, Paul does this because not only are believers in the church united to Christ... We are also united to each other as a body of believers. So look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says to his true companion, he says, true companion. Now some versions translate that as a name, Sizagos. Um, Paul says, help these women. So the principle behind this is that we all belong to Jesus and to one another in community, in the church. We are members together. And here, here's what's so important. Look at, look at what Paul says in verse 3. Paul commands these other church members to help them even if Euodia and Syntyche don't want it. Did Paul tell Euodia and Syntyche to go find help? No, Paul says, Sizagos, true companion, you go help them. Clement, go help them. Other fellow believers, go help them. So Euodia and Syntyche, they're not asking for help. They want to sit in their despondency or in their bitterness or whatever the disagreement is. They want to sit in it, soak in it, stew in it, and Paul says, no, 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 other believers, you have a responsibility to get involved. Why? Because it affects the unity of the body. Paul says that we are members together and that we belong to one another. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he writes to a very divided church in Corinth. He says this in verse 12, 24. He says, God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So all of us, all of us have a responsibility to work out our conflicts with each other, and sometimes we have to have the help of others based on on our unity in Christ in order to protect the unity of the body. So here's the point. If two of y'all get to squabbling and I find out about it, I'm going to tell Jesus on you. 
we have a responsibility to love one another and get through our differences. So the first reason that they need to work this out is because we're united in Christ. We are brothers and sisters bought by the blood of Jesus, belonging to the same Father. And so let's get along. Okay? Second. But also, Paul says, the reason they must work this out is because they're united in mission. Notice what Paul says. He says at the end of verse 3, he says, These women have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So notice that Paul not only has highlighted their unity in Christ, Paul says they've also shared the mission of the gospel together. They've labored side by side with Paul in the gospel, along with the others in the Philippian church. So what Paul is arguing here is they need to remember their unity in Christ and their mission together. Listen, the gospel comes with a mission, amen? Jesus left the church, a community of faith, with a mission to accomplish. Now Paul said this earlier in Philippians. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all always, uh, uh, sorry. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the church shares the partnership of the gospel together. We are on mission together. So anything that keeps us from accomplishing our mission must be put aside for the greater goal of reaching others with the gospel. Think about that. It's a matter of perspective. What the enemy will do, and he is very good at it, the enemy will seek to distract us from our mission by raising up differences of opinion or preferences among us. He will try to deter us from our mission by putting us on side paths instead of staying laser focused on the mission of Christ. He will try to deflect us from our mission, cause us to disregard our mission, and ultimately he will destroy our ability to do the mission. And the mission is to get the gospel to the ends of the earth for the glory of Christ, to make disciples of all nations. And just think about that. We've all, we've all heard of stories, right, of churches who have, who have uh, we've heard of, all of us have heard of or have been a part of a church where there have been petty church disagreements. You've heard stories of churches arguing and bickering and dividing over carpet color or some other matter that has no real eternal significance. And what's funny is every time they start one of those churches, they name it New Harmony. Okay. But, but the, that's the issue, right? It's a matter of perspective. Think about this. How stupid, how stupid does it make us feel and sound when we let petty disagreements divide us when there are people dying and going to hell? That's a matter of perspective. That's a matter of perspective. And so when you put things in proper eternal perspective, you go, you know what? Carpet side, nobody's got saved because the carpet's blue or red. Now, in Huntington, you might say, well, that makes a difference. But that's really what it is, right? It's like parenting. My, par my kids hear me say this all the time. When I ask them, when, when something comes up and they're unhappy, I go, is this life changing? Does this not having mashed potatoes change your life forever? Is this worth being grounded for for a month? And the answer to that is always no, Dad. It's not worth being grounded for a month. But it's a matter of perspective, right? The gospel, here's, the, here's, here's what it is. Listen, Paul, uh, 
Paul is reminding us of the perspective we have to keep as a congregation. We can talk things out. We can even have reasonable differences and opinions. Those are welcome. We can even have different preferences for things like carpet color. But at the end of the day, we must be united in Christ and the mission that Christ has given us. We have to keep that perspective. It, becomes an, it, it only becomes an issue when we choose to disregard our unity in Christ and the mission of Christ for things that have no eternal significance. The gospel and its mission must remain, must remain central. Amen? As long as we keep the gospel the main thing, the main thing will be the main thing. And that's what our goal has to be. So we must, uh, we have to ask questions as a church when the gospel is the gospel central. Does this help us better accomplish our mission? Because we are united not only in Christ, but in our gospel mission. We have to row the same direction. Let's row towards getting the gospel to the nations. And then third and finally, not only are Euodia and Syntyche united in Christ, united in mission, but they're also united in eternity. Notice what Paul says there at the end. He says about these two women along with Clement and all the other fellow workers, he says, whose names are in the book of life. Now what does that mean? What is the book of life? Paul gives the third reason for protecting gospel unity in the church. He reminds Euodia and Syntyche that both of them not only share identity in Christ, they belong to Jesus, they not only share the mission of Christ, they will share eternity in Christ Jesus. Both of their names are written in the book of life that will be opened in the future when Christ returns. On that day when Christ opens and reads our names out of the book of life of every saint from all time and eternity, Paul says their names are there. Euodia and Syntyche are going to spend eternity together. And let me just say, eternity is a long time to disagree. Eternity is a long time to carry a grudge. And I want to say that we also need this kind of reminder as Christians that we not only share a home in Huntingdon, we not only share a church here at First Baptist, we share eternity together. We are going to spend eternity together in Christ we need a kind of eternal perspective. Far too often, we forget that in our conflicts. And we have to remember that when we have disagreements. As the old poem says, To live above with the saints we love, Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, Well, that's another story. That shouldn't be true though, right? The truth is there is a fundamental heavenly reality that is supposed to break into the present for Christians in their day-to-day -day interactions and conflicts with one another. The heavenly reality here is that there are no divisions in heaven. You realize that, right? When we get to heaven, there'll be no divisions. I know we like to think, well, when we get to heaven, all the Baptists will be over here having a party. There'll be no more divisions. There'll be no more of that. There will be none of that. It will be only those in Christ Jesus. Christ will be our hope and our peace forever. There are no longer in heaven any causes for pride. All of it's gone. There's no reason to envy anyone else in heaven. There'll be or to have your or to fight for your own way or your own preferences. All of pride will be gone. All of shame will be gone. All of jealousy will be gone. All greed and covetousness that I want what they have, that'll be gone. 
all bitterness will be gone. All grudges will be gone. There is only peace in Jesus. So think about this. If someone has the attitude, this is their attitude, I will carry this grudge and bitterness to my grave and then I will forgive them. What you are saying is that the gospel has no power in day-to-day life and struggles. You're saying the gospel has no power today. That the gospel only has power there. That is not what the Bible teaches. The gospel does not only have power in death. You are saying that the Spirit of God doesn't have any power today to affect a change of heart and a mind toward other believers. Jesus said that I have come that you might have what? Life and have it more abundantly. Not just in eternity, but right now. So as I conclude, here's what happens when we don't protect gospel unity. Let me just give you four things that happen. If you choose to hold on to those grudges, hold on to those conflicts, and refuse to be united in Christ, united in mission, and united in eternity, what happens? Four things. Number one, if that's what you want, then you will dishonor Jesus, who died to unite us with God and one another. That's what you'll get. You will get, I I dishonor Jesus. After all, Ephesians 2 says Christ Christ died to break down every barrier that divides us, whether it be racial, socioeconomic. Jesus died to reconcile us together as believers and bring us peace. So, if you don't protect gospel unity, then you're going to dishonor Jesus who died to unite us. Second, you will also discourage faith in the gospel. You will discourage faith in the gospel. Listen, when you hold on to conflict and when you hold on to these things, it discourages, it, sorry, it discourages faith in the gospel. Or to say it another way, it encourages unbelief in the gospel. This means it hinders the progress of the gospel that every disciple of Jesus should desire. We should desire at the highest that Jesus' name be glorified and his name be taken to the nations. And I don't want to do anything that discourages unbelief among others. They go, well, Jesus, think about your neighbors and those in our community who would go, well, the gospel doesn't have the power to make those two get along. It ain't going to have no power to save me from my sins. That's a gospel issue. We can't have that. Number three, it harms the fellowship and harmony of the body. These things harm the church. If a church is a visible manifestation of the gospel, then everyone inside of it and outside of it should be able to see the peace and unity the gospel can bring. Where they go, you know, those two people are very different. Those two people have wildly different uh, interpretations of the scriptures. They have wildly different political views. They are they they don't look alike. They don't talk alike. They live in one lives in the in a good side of town. One lives on the bad side of town. Well, what makes them be in church together? The power of Jesus. The only explanation for all of these differences uniting together has to be the gospel. So when you hold on to those things, it harms the unity of the body. And number four, and so if you don't, let me just, I'm getting more personal here. It dishonors Jesus. It discourages faith among outsiders. It harms the fellowship of insiders. But here's the last thing it does, and if you won't hear anything, hear this one. If you hold on to these things and don't relinquish them in Jesus, it poisons your own spiritual health. That's what it does. It poisons your own spiritual health with bitterness and unforgiveness. It not only hurts other believers, 
it hurts you. One of the pastors I grew up with, one, one that mentored me, he used to say this all the time out of Hebrews where it says, be careful that a, that a root of bitterness not spring up among you. He says, bitterness is the poison you drink. Nobody else drinks it. The only person that drinks it is you. So you harm your own soul when you hold on to these things. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we work through this? Well, Paul says you might need a mediator. You might need help. We want to help you. We want believers to love each other and serve each other. It, it matters when we take communion together because the, uh, we're going to take this in, in a week or two. We'll have communion. And the Bible says if you come to the altar and you have something against your brother, leave your offering and go be reconciled to your brother before you take communion. The Bible says it's important. So what do we do? Well, the New N.T. Wright, the famous New Testament scholar, says this. He says, if someone, has done something, if, if someone has done something wrong, even at a personal level, the right thing to do is not to gossip about it, not to tell everybody else, not to allow resentment to build up and fester, and certainly not to begin plotting revenge. The right thing to do is to go and tell them directly. Unfortunately, the people who are best at doing this, in my experience, are the people who actually rather enjoy telling other people that they're out of line. Perhaps the only real qualification for doing it is if you know deep down you would much rather not have to do it. And then you would pray for grace and courage to go knock on the door in the first place. So if you're arrogant and you just like telling people what to do, you might not be the best person to do this at all. It might be those who know that this is hard, this is difficult, I don't want to harm anybody, so Jesus, I need grace. We all need to cry out for grace. But we all have an obligation to do this. I'll close with what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you have been called. And with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this morning, I'm going to pray. We'll have a time of invitation. The first is this. If you don't know Jesus, then you're not united in Christ. You're not united in mission, and you're certainly um, not united in eternity. Your name is not in the book of life. And on that day when Jesus opens that, opens that book, your name will not be written there. Well, how did your name written there? You come to Christ in repentance and faith, calling on Him as Lord, and you can be sure that on the day when that book is open, it's not going to be open in judgment for you, but it's going to be open in, in being received by the Father into glory. Come in repentance and faith, receive Jesus. But if you're a believer, and this is speaking to you, then I encourage you to obey the Scriptures. Begin the new year by laying aside bitterness and anger and being reconciled. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, you need to live at peace with all people. Don't drink the poison. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Make sure that Christ alone leads you. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would be glorified in the life of our church. Father, we ask that we would always live remindful that in Christ we are united together. And Father, in Christ we've been united in his mission and Father, we've been united in eternity. And in light of eternity, Father, I pray that all the trappings of this world, the distractions, the things that cause disagreement will fall to their proper place and we would go, 
I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to walk with Him. I'm not going to harbor resentment or bitterness. But we're going to agree in the Lord Jesus. Father, speak now. We ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name.